Raylan had asked me to, to speak tonight. Normally on, on the second Tuesday, we've been uh, honored with having uh, Titus speak, and uh, Titus decided that he wanted to speak tonight uh, just at Buffalo Valley. And so, but I would encourage everyone here that uh, is available this week, if, uh, if you would, go out and uh, encourage him in that meeting. Um, I don't know how scared he is. I'm sure he remembers what happened the last time he had a meeting, and he lost his voice for as, as long as I can remember. I know I was in his class at the time, and I thought, will his voice ever come back the way it used to be? Um, I felt so sorry for him. Uh, but maybe this one will go a lot better. He's just finished a week of VBS of teaching as well as as many of you have taught this last week and have done an amazing, amazing job. Roger, when you got up and you, and you said, uh, do you remember this song? And I'm looking at the song and I'm like, yeah, I remember that song. Well, I think what I should have said was, I think I remembered it better back many years ago than I did today. <laughs> so, but uh, as you kept going, I think we all uh, got better as, as we kept seeing it. Um, tonight's lesson, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to uh, turn over to the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, we're going to spend most of our time in 1 Samuel before uh, we get over to some of the verses in the New Testament. Uh, we remember first. Uh, Samuel as being uh, the last great judge, maybe probably the most well-known judge of all the judges, 15 total in all, but in uh, the, first, the first couple of chapters there, I've, uh, the first chapter you have the story of how Samuel came about, he had a, a great mother that uh, we talk about from time to time, her name was Hannah. In uh, chapter 1, verse 5 there, it says, uh, But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Apparently she had been barren for, for quite a while. Her husband had multiple wives, and other wives had, had produced many children. But uh, her husband loved her more than any of the other wives, even though they had produced children. And, and uh, Hannah had done great things to get to the uh, to the point to where she would uh, be able to be given a child we see in verses 10 and 11 there and and uh, when she's at the the temple there it says and uh, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the lord and wept in anguish and then she made a vow and he's and said O lord of hosts if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant but will give your maidservant a male child that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Before even Samuel's birth, before he even came into this earth, his whole life will be set before him. What he's going to do, where he's going to be, and how he will spend his days as he walks upon this earth were already put into motion. And it says that he would grow up to be a servant in God's house wherever in life that may take him. In verse 17 there, if we skip down a little bit, it says, Then Eli answered, uh, the high priest Eli answered and said, uh, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked for him. When I get, I started out here, we're not talking a lot about Samuel in this lesson, but uh, it's important to see some of the characters that are taking place here in the book of Samuel where we have the high priest at that time. The land that they are in is Shiloh. 
that's where God's house is, the tabernacle. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. And we have this boy that we've talked about, Samuel, that hadn't been born yet, but will be born. And, and will be handed over uh, by, by Hannah. Uh, it says in verse 24 there of that first chapter, Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one epoch of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. The day came to give him up, and she did. He's going to do great many things. And Hannah, of course, will be blessed with more children after this. But we know that Samuel goes on to become a great prophet in God's kingdom, even to the point where he will get to anoint, through unchosen circumstances, the first king of Israel later on. But he's still a young boy. But Eli, in the temple or the tabernacle, I'm going to say temple all night. I have a hard time with that. But in the tabernacle, he, he watches this, boy, this little boy grow up, and he does great things in his sight. And Eli takes a liking to him. And as he grows up, um, we see that he shows special favoritism to Samuel. Even though Eli, and what we're getting into tonight, He's got boys of his own. Why didn't Eli show the same love, the same work, and the same effort into his own sons? You know, while Hannah and her husband, they came to visit once a year, they would bring their sacrifices. And it says that Eli would give them a special blessing. In chapter 2, verse 20 there, it even says... Uh, and Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord, that they would go, and they would go back to their own home. But doesn't much seem to be impressive of Eli to spend enough time with his children. When me and Amber decided on a name for our son, Eli, <laughs> Dad, <laughs> uh, Dad, he asked me, he goes, uh, he goes, son, you know about Eli's sons, don't you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I know the story. I know of Eli's sons. I said, but I want him to have a strong name. And Eli was a strong high priest. He was a good man. And I don't want anyone to go away from here thinking that I don't think that Eli was a great servant of God because he was. But unfortunately... His offspring were not. Because it says in the Bible that the more that Samuel grew and the more that he learned from God, Eli's real sons were becoming more and more corrupt. One of the lessons that we see continually throughout the Bible is how some of the most holy men have produced some of the most corrupt and some of the most evil children. And that's exactly what your Bible will tell you about of Eli's children when we look at chapter 2, verse 12. And it says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. How can that be? These kids grew up in the tabernacle. They were Levites. I mean, if anyone knows the Lord, the Levites must know the Lord, correct? And what does it say about the high priest? That his own children did not know the Lord. Well, in the terminology that you read there, that doesn't really mean that they did not know God. They knew God. 
but they also knew what they wanted. They knew that they grew up in God's house, and they just simply refused to obey God's will. Maybe it's because their daddy was so high up that they thought that they could get away with whatever they wanted. Because from all aspects that we read about them, they did get away with pretty much whatever they wanted. Eli's sons were perverting the sacrifices of the people to the point that God couldn't stand it anymore. And this is going to take place years later. This isn't just something that slow, this is something that slowly happened. This isn't something that abruptly happened. But in verse 17 of chapter 2 there, we, re, we read, Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The men hated going and doing these sacrifices because of the way that the sons have corrupted uh, God's will. Understanding these offerings gets very complicated. To those who have studied the different, many different offerings and what to do, we know that uh, in the beginning uh, with the priests, they were given the law when Moses came and gave them the law on how they would do these sacrifices. And, and Moses would even repeatedly have to go back over again. Now, now this is how we do this. So, so it is a complicated thing that takes effort. It takes skill. So I, how I understand it is this. When the priests were given this law and told what to do, number one, to the person who brought the sacrifice, they were allowed to eat certain parts of the sacrifice that they bring and were actually commanded to eat those parts. But there also was a second part that was supposed to be given to God, which would be burned up, which would be destroyed in that fire. And then there was a part that would also be given to these priests because the priests have to eat as well, so they would take a part of the sacrifice as well and keep that part. And only certain parts of the priests were supposed to be kept. But we see here Eli's sons and some of their friends, and I'll use friends loosely, that's Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, their friends might be their own relatives. Their friends might be well, the, servants are also in the temple that are helping uh, perform these sacrifices. I guess they were just sick and tired of getting to eat the same pieces of meat all the time, or maybe they just, like many children today, and I, don't, I have one myself, that are very picky eaters, and they just want certain things. So it was that they were, people were coming and they were bringing their portions, and they didn't want the portion that was supposed to be given to them. So when the people came, they would take meat portions that were more favorable to them and not being sacrificed appropriately. And as men brought these sacrifices, you know, uh, they would see that, you know, this is not the way this is done. I've been coming and doing this before, and this is not the way these sacrifices are supposed to go. They would even say they would even take them from their hands when they knew that God was supposed to get that piece of that sacrifice. So imagine waiting all year to make travel with your family, to go and do these sacrifices for sins, for blessings. And when you get up there to the, to the tabernacle and you start to bring your sacrifice and you know which piece goes to you, which piece goes to God, which piece goes to the priest, imagine how that person's going to feel after he goes up there and the priest looks down and says, you know, you know I like that portion. That's, that's a portion that I want. And you just look at him and says, no, 
that's, that's supposed to go to God. That's God's peace. That's, that's what God commanded that he wants. But as you know, people humble like myself, are you going to argue with a priest? I mean, who's going to stand at the, at the tabernacle with the sacrifices and make that argument? And so they completely perverted in the, uh, the will of God as far as how the tabernacle was supposed to be run according to those. To the point that the people abhorred even coming and bringing their sacrifice. So the people got to the point to where we don't even want to go anymore. We'll just stay at home. There's no point in going up to that place. We know it's being run by, by Eli's sons. And it's just a bunch of hoodlums. And it's all corrupt. And they're all just taking what they want. We no longer feel like it's even important to go. It's a good thing that we don't see this ever happen today, isn't it? It's a good thing that we work, that we live in a country with a government that never would take any of our money from our checks and use it for any other way than what it was supposed to be used for, right? Yeah, that wouldn't happen. Eli's sons, they became more bold, and they destroyed the reputation of God's house. And as Eli aged and aged to almost the point that he aged out, we see there... Uh, we read verses 22 through 25. It says, Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear you make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. They have really branched out. We've gone pretty far out now from the point of just converting sacrifices to the mistreatment of the women, the widows, or the women who come to the tabernacle, who, who come to worship God. They perverted those, those women. You wonder at this point if any real worship was even taking place there at all. Eli tells his boys there who are, who are making all these decisions uh, and allowing the other priests as well to make these horrible decisions, you have caused all of Israel to be in sin. There in verse 24. Not that everyone in the land was a sinner. Do I feel like every single person there was in sin? No. But I feel like the majority was enough to where God could no longer stand it at this point. And punishment must be laid out. In the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, uh, we had Don Blackwell here not too long ago. You might remember as he talked about GBN, they have a new thing in, in the app. If you've loaded up your phone, you know, we've got to put the technology in there. Uh, if you load that app up, they have Bob Winton's commentaries. Some of you know him, some of you don't. I think he just lives right down the road, not too far from here. But he has wrote his own commentary on, on almost every book of the Bible. And he's, he put in there, in the book of Hosea, chapter... Do you have it up here, Parker? Yeah. He says, 
book Hosea, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. God says it's so bad. Those who go with the priests will be rewarded the way the priests have shown them. Those who go their own way towards God will be rewarded as they live their lives. Like people, like priests, but there will be punishment coming for their sinful ways. Verse 25, if you go back and we look at that, it's a verse that uh, if you have your Bibles open, I would encourage you to highlight, underline that verse and take a good look at it, how it applies to us today. When it says, if one man sins against another, God will judge him. If we sin against someone else, we have a judge. We can go to, we can talk to God, we can pray for forgiveness for whatever dealings we did with the other person. And we have a judge that can show mercy upon us, who can, who can forgive us. There might be some punishment involved, but he can stand before us and give us the grace that we ask for. But what happens if we, in the second part there, sin against the judge if a man sins against the lord who will intercede for him if we turn our face to god and say you know what god i know what you want me to do but i'm just gonna do it my own way how will we find any mercy from the judge how bad do you know it would be if any one of us walked into a courtroom being told that we committed a crime and then we just kind of spit in the face of the judge and says, it doesn't really matter what you say, judge. I'm going to do it my own way. How well would that go for you? You know, we, we hire, we spend lots of money on lawyers because why do we spend money on lawyers? Because we're so afraid we might say one thing bad that we shouldn't say because we're wanting to get off we're trying we're trying to get away from whatever we've come to court for um so we want to make sure we don't say anything like that but every day people all over this land all over this world shrug their nose towards god and say yeah i know that's that's what i'm supposed to be doing that's the way i'm supposed to be living and i know that there's the bible says that's the way it's supposed to be but but i'm going to do it my own way and things will not go well for us, will it? And then you have the last part there where it says, Nevertheless, these sons, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. That's not the God that we hear about today, is it? Because today, what do we hear? Well, God is love. God loves you for the way you are. God's going to love you for the life that you live. Um, that's not what this verse says at all. God says, because all that the Eli's sons have done, the way they perverted the household of Eli, he wants them to die. And die they will. Maybe I'm ignorant, but I think that 
sometimes, even men and women today, and Ronald did a whole lesson on it this morning, so there's no point in me going into great detail, but I think even some of us, some of the people in this congregation that's sitting here right now that I look up to as holy men of God, at some point, they just get tired, and they feel like they don't want to go to service, or maybe they don't want to put in that extra effort, and, and Ronald's lesson this morning says he talked a lot about convenience. Well, if it's convenient for me, then I'll do God's will. If it's not convenient, then I'll just do it my own way. But I think that the people like here, like Ronald talked about, like many of you here, you know that at certain times when you think, well, I don't want to do that, you know that there is great reward in just going and doing it. And we feel better afterwards, after we've put that extra effort in that God would have us to do in, in our lives towards other people, towards other Christians, the people of faith, and many others. And the reward will come later on. At this point, I think that uh, what, is un what is to be understood that an upright moral person that goes to the tabernacle and he sees uh, what has become... And he says, I don't want to be a part of that. I think God understands that person at this point. They see the corruptness, the people in charge that are taking advantage of them. They see Hophni and Phinehas have purposefully, through their own fleshly desires, have made it a horrible place to go. When you come to worship, do you any of those aspects or in your life? Would there be any reason why someone would come and visit and see you? Or would there be any reason why someone would see you when you're not here, when you're living your daily life at work, at school, at play, vacation? Would there be anybody there that would say, you know what, if that's what being a Christian is, I think I'll just go and have it my own way, do it my own way. Part... Because of all this, the Lord desires to kill them. And I want us to look at this judgment, uh, the judgment that he has made. He has made the judgment already, even though that he doesn't kill them immediately. He hasn't executed his plan yet. But what is going to happen? The, the whole cutting off. It's not just a, a minor cutting off. It's the whole family of Eli. It's the Israelite people, and I don't think I gave these verses to Parker, but in uh, chapter 3, verse 11, when, uh, when they're talking there, Samuel, he says, and the, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Whatever God has planned is so bad that when other countries and other people hear about what's going to happen, their hair stands up. You know, they, t they step back and they think about how awful this is going to be. John chapter 15, and we had uh, Jeremy read part of that. I want to start at verse 1. We're talking about abiding in Christ. Okay, so, so Jesus gives this story, and I'm sorry for you teachers. Uh, I was already deep into this lesson when I realized that, hey, this is what you're going to have to teach on Wednesday night over in the, uh, in the annex that goes with our material. But 
John chapter 15, we'll read uh, through here. It says that the true vine, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You already, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And you'll, you'll see that. He'll repeat that, abide in me. I started counting that up, and I finally quit counting, but I believe it's uh, over six times he talks about abiding in him. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you cannot do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is with, withered. And they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. But this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. We as Christians will only survive if we graft ourselves onto this vine that Jesus talks about and live in a way that we ourselves will not get cut off. We just finished a week of VBS, uh, the week of, that flood, week of that VBS, the theme for that week was flood, don't miss the boat. Well, the week of VBS is over and we've learned and we've studied and it was wonderful. And tonight's lesson, I want to impart this information don't get cut off. Amen. Once we get on that vine, whatever we must do, we must live our lives in a way that even when God prunes, we do not get cut off from his vine. Jesus says, if you want to stay attached to this vine, it will only take three simple words. Abide in me. Honestly, I, as a Christian who have been a Christian for many years, can say that that is much harder said. It's much harder to do than it is to say. Man's selfish ambition, our foolish pride, it can keep us from easily being cut off from Christ's vine. Will we abide in Him when things get hard? If we don't, He makes it very clear what He will do, doesn't He? In verse six, it says, "We will be cast out." And we will be burned once we're cut off. How do we show this in our lives? Will we keep his commandments? If you have your pen, you might want to uh, put in the verse next to that, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How do we bear much fruit? We create good works. When I was a boy and a child and I read this, for my understanding of it as a boy, I always thought that meant that the only way for us to bear fruit meant that we had to provide new Christians. We had to go bring souls to Christ. That was the only way that we could bear good fruit. Now as I'm older and I read this, I understand that it's much more than just winning souls. It is good works. It's providing things for others, for taking care of the less fortunate, 
for lending a hand for those who need help up. For doing the things like Christ did when Christ walked upon this earth. And that is abiding in him. And if we do those things, good fruit will come. Many of you did many things this last week through VBS. Things that we don't know which part of this VBS you played in. But I know that just about everyone here's hands touched that great week in some way or another through whatever you did. Maybe it was just encouraging others to come. But we had a great week, didn't we? This is a lesson that is long forgotten by Eli's true sons. They've been attached from that vine for a long time. But we have this young boy, Samuel, and Samuel's being taught right, and he's learning the ways of God as he grows up in the house. But Hophni and Phinehas, if they lived today, they would most certainly be cut off. Eli, at this point, his age, he's about 98 years old, so he's very old. He's almost blind. He doesn't have the energy anymore to stand against his sons, and instead, he stood with them and actually tried to defend them. In verse 29, God is actually getting upset with Eli because he says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? God says, Eli, you care for one more for these wicked sons than you do for me right now. There in verse 31, God says, Behold, the days are coming. I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. His days are done. His great works that he's done will be forgotten because it will go, it will die out with him and his family for the, for the evil and the corruption that his sons have put upon that tabernacle. God himself is going to clean his own house. God himself will clean the church out today if they are not worshiping the way they're supposed to. This is a good example for the young and for the old. God's house, if not maintained, he will use it and it will be rebuilt by someone else. In this case, later on, it will be Samuel. Today, if the Lord's church won't stand as one, it won't stand at all. Where do you find yourself tonight? How well are you keeping your own house? Have you let outside people, family, work, or friends push you into the point that you feel like God has cut you off from his vine? Because you're living for yourself instead of for Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 4, we take a look at it and it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Take a good look at this verse and ask yourself, is this me?